Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osban, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our DAP today, Masachat Beta, DAP Lamed Hay, page 35. Again, we just want to remind everybody, please sign up to join us for a Siyam on Masachat Beta, which God willing will be on October 10th. If you want to share some Torah with us, let us know. Uh, again, kudos to everybody who uh, kept up with us over all the Chagim. And even if you didn't and you're a little bit behind, which then I'm not sure if you're listening yet to this uh, episode, but we hope you will join us uh, as well. So uh, this stuff really, Ahmed Aleph, until basically the end of the parak, and Anne, you're going to talk about the new parak, really is one very long discussion. On the bottom of the previous stuff on Lama Dalit, there was an opinion stated of Rav Nachman uh, in the name of Rabbi Eliezer, that essentially uh, what they're talking about here is the idea that how can we say that, you know, just having the decision that you're going to, you know, sort of partake or eat of this fruit establishes it as fixed when it comes to truma and masro. In other words, we're talking about the situation where somebody has untied fruit, right, before Shabbat. You know that you can't take truma and masro on Shabbat itself. So this opinion of Rabbi Nachman and Rabbi Eliezer basically says you just sort of have to stand near the fruit and say, like, I'm going to eat this fruit but you don't really have to designate what part of it you're going to eat. And that's sort of like enough to say that it's a fixed, uh, a fixed meal, right? Cause you're saying I'm going to eat it on Shabbat and therefore you would have to take truma and master. And so essentially what this staff does is it's basically trying to bring other teachings from the Tanaim to support this opinion of Ravi Nachman. And so essentially just going to sort of go through different teachings uh, to say whether or not, uh, you know, we can uh, we can uphold this basically idea that it's that speech alone, right? Uh, well, it's basically a question of is speech alone kovea or not? That's essentially what the machlokas is over, right? Is it just by designating something with speech? Is that enough to say? Um, and if it's not, you know, do you have to do something else other gen- than using speech? And that's essentially sort of what this machlokas is talking about. And then finally, the way the daf ends is, is they have a different opinion here of Rabbi Yochanan. Um, and so that's the part that I want to get to. Just I got to scroll down there uh, to uh, to get to it, um, where it says the um, where it says the, the following. Kiata Ravin. So Ravin came from uh, so Ravin came from Eretzel to to Babel. I'm a Rabbi Yochanan. He gave the following teaching from Rabbi Yochanan. Rem- remember, this makes sense. Rabbi Yochanan is often very much quoted because he was in Eretz Yisrael. So this is like someone's coming from Babel and being like, "Oh, hey, this is how they're teaching it in Eretz Yisrael." Echad Shabbos, ve'echad Truma, ve'echad Chatzer, ve'ekach Mikach, Kulan Ein Kovin, Ela B'Devar Shenigmar Amalachtan. So the teaching that Rabbi Yochanan gives is when it comes to Shabbat or separating truma, we're talking about from fruit, or with a courtyard, which we're talking about fruits been brought into, or with a transaction, all of these cases are established, right? That the I, that the that it's only done once the it's only established once the work around it is actually done. And so what does he mean by that? Shabbat, Lafuke Midahilo. So Shabbos, right? So now they're going to go through each one specifically. Shabbos comes to exclude the opinion of Hillel. Did Tanya, right? So now they're going to quote a Brisa here. Amerpe wrote me makom le makom liksor, vikidesh alehem ayom, 
Amar Rav Yehuda, Hillel Latzmo Uzer. Let's say, and uh, you know, in order to uh, you know to get them together, and then Shabbat starts. So Rav Yehuda said that Hillel actually prohibits the food from the person who gathered it itself. In other words, Hillel basically says you're not allowed to eat that fruit until the Truman, till Truman Masrat have been taken because he believes that the beginning of Shabbat itself makes the fruit to be completed. Because in other words, any food you're going to eat on Shabbat is considered to be a fixed meal. There's no concept of uh, achila arai on Shabbat, sort of just like snacking or something like this. And so Rabbi Yochanan teaches that the halacha is actually not according to Rabbi Yehuda, who would prohibit it, but actually that it's okay, that just by gathering it, even though you didn't sort of finish everything, you still would be allowed to eat that fruit, even though according to Hillel, you would not be allowed. Chatzar lefuke means Rabbi Yaakov. So why did Rabbi Yochanan teach this halacha about the chatzar? It's to exclude the opinion of Rabbi Yaakov. Ditznan, and so now he quotes Mishnah. So we learned here, right, that if somebody brings figs into his courtyard and he's, the purpose is to make them into dried figs, so we talked about this case before, his children and other members of the household can eat from them and you don't have to do, and basically you didn't have to do, you don't have to do your Truman Master yet. You can basically wait until... You've actually, um, until they became the dried figs, so that you can like nibble on this a little bit if you want. Vitani Allah, Rabbi Yaakov, Machayev, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, Poter, right? But a Brayta taught that what? That Rabbi Yaakov actually says, no, you have to do the master, you have to do the tithing beforehand. But Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Yehuda said, you don't have to. So that's why Rabbi Yochanan taught this, that Rabbi Yochanan is of the opinion, you do not have to do the master beforehand. Truma, Lafuke, Mitzu, Rabbi Eliezer. So specific law of truma, right? That we don't say that you're not establishing the fruit as as now requiring uh, to be separated. So this comes to exclude the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer Ditznan. So we learn in the Mishnah, Peirot Shatraman Nigra So fruits from which truma was separated, but their work was not completed, right? Rabbi Eliezer says, you're not allowed to eat from them in a casual manner, right? Like, can't just say I'm snacking on them. The rabbis say you're allowed. And that's the opinion Rabbi Yochanan holds. And then uh, then we have uh, the issue of mekach, right? Like a transaction. Kiditznan, here we have a brisa. Let's say you buy figs from an am ha'aretz, right? This is somebody who we assume did not do truman maser. But it's in a place where most people take their figs and really press them and dry them out to make them cakes. So in other words, no one thinks you're really going to be eating a fresh fig. The work of the fig, right? The fig is not in its final form. It's supposed to be made into a cake. That's the minhag of how figs are eaten in this particular place. If you're in a place where most people press them, you can eat from them casually because in other words, the fruit's not completed yet. Lo nigmara, the, the work isn't finished. Uma asran demai, right? But and the and therefore you can consider them to basically be demai. You can consider them to be that maybe the it wasn't the master wasn't uh taken, you know, because it's from an amha aret, but you still would be allowed to eat from them, you know, from a, a rai. And so then finally the Gemara says, Shmami not slat. So he says, 
you can learn from this price of three halachot. Shmami, now what he learned, transaction is only establishes as something fixed once the work itself has been completed. But if the work hasn't been completed, even just the buying of it, the selling of it didn't obligate you in master. The, the fake has to be in the form that it's supposed to be in. Ushmami, now rova mastrin, hey? Right, we can also infirm that most people who are even in the category of Anama Arts, we do think that they probably separate some type of master. So you only really need to do it if you know that it's demai, right? Would you say is if it's questionable? And then we learn another one, which is that if you have demai, you have produce that you're not totally sure whether or not master was separated from it, right? That's demai. Right from an Amharitz, you can still separate the 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 master from it, even if the work from it hasn't been done. And so Rabbi Yochanan, right, basically wants to uh, rule according to to exclude everything that we learned in 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 a Mishnah, right? Somebody exchanged fruits with his friends, right? So this would be considered to be some type of mekach. It would be considered to be some type of transaction. Right, so one to eat and one that to eat. So in other words, I don't know, someone has an apple, the other one has an orange. They say, we'll exchange the fruits. I want some apples, you want some oranges. So it's, you know, for each of them to eat a little bit of that other fruit. Right, one to make a dried fruit and the other one to make it into dried food. Right, I'm going to eat it. You're going to try it out. You're as soon as you make that transaction, according to this Mishnah, you, then you're obligated in, in Maser, right? In Truma Maser, yeah, because it's it's like it's ready. You fixed it. Rabbi Yehuda says, no, if it's to eat, it's Chayav, because you figure you finish whatever it is you needed to do with that fruit. But if it's to dry it out, then you're Pator. So Rabbi Yochanan does not agree with the Tana of this particular mission. So essentially what this whole end of this staff is talking about really is, beginning from the previous staff is, when do we say that food is basically ready to be eaten, right? Is it just with Shabbat coming? Is it just by some sort of transaction? Or do we say that there are cases where sort of like you haven't really designated the food enough and therefore the questions of Maser, you know, they didn't actually have to be taken yet. If it's still sort of in this, you know, in-between status where it's not clear what you're going to do or the food isn't prepared, the fruit isn't prepared, the way that you would actually ultimately eat it, maybe you don't actually have to take maser. And so I think the thing to get out of this again is, is that I am so struck by, and I know I almost keep saying the same thing in every podcast, how much effort there was into preparing food, whether it was the malacha, the work that was really involved to make your food on Yom Tov itself. And even now, just all of these things about Truman Maser, which yes, we do keep somewhat in it we do keep it in israel like we do separate it we don't give it to anybody and there's a whole bunch of different ways that we deal with it but it was not as labor intensive because we were not we don't farm our own food right like you just go to the grocery store and you separate some truman master from it but you know i think just the I'll, I'll tell you one but easier in much much of israel just buys you know from conglomerates right. that have already done the right separating. that have already done it thank you yes you're even you're right that's even more true so it's just so interesting how much effort, like agricultural law and food preparation, I think was a good chunk of the average person's halakhic life. And I think when, yes, we keep kosher, 
but I, it's like, I'm really getting an appreciation of like how not labor intensive keeping kosher is. So I was just going to say something else, although, you know, the cousin of this point is that the Gemara talks about all this stuff, right? Meaning we now have this window into what their lives were like and what their food preparation was like, because the Gemara, you know, talks about how, like each aspect of this was relevant to the, how special you're going to make Yantif, how, what, what is necessary to do. It seems like, I don't know, in some ways it seems like a, a much a much more spotlighted kind of um you know survey of what they're doing as compared to what we saw in Masakh Shabbat. Meaning in Masakh Shabbat we saw plenty of different you know plenty of the different halachot. But here it seems to be like a granular level of if you if you do it, and that's gonna look thing. But for Yantiv, which is not going all the way to Shabbat where you would like stop stop doing it all together, right? So that's I think that's what I mean that there's like a we're getting to the much finer a much finer assessment of each I don't know each different element of the tasks that they were doing. I I, I think that's a really good point too. So I think with that we now finish the this parak and uh, we're going to begin the last parak of Masacha Beitzah today. So take it away. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Okay, so this is an interesting Mishnah. I'm going to read the Mishnah, and then uh, I guess what's most interesting here is actually the Gemara on the Mishnah. Perhaps that's not our usual norm, but here it is. Mashilin peirot derech aruba biyom tov. So this word mashilin is a little bit problematic or puzzling, and we'll get to that in the Gemara, as I said. But basically what it is is as follows. Uh, I'm going to take a step back. Where the, the Mishnah says that we're that you could lower the fruits for through the aruba. The aruba is like a skylight on Yantif. So to understand this, um, really, we need to think about the architecture of their homes. And the architecture of their homes is not um, a monolith either, right? Meaning this is a certain kind of home. It must have been in fashion and a certain part of Israel at a certain time. Uh, it does seem to be, you know, the architecture of Roman homes you know, around the same time as we would expect to find in the time of the Mishnah. So basically, it's if you have, you have a, I don't know, your house was such that you could climb up onto the roof and there's a skylight that goes, that opens to a big hole. I mean, it, you know, shines the light to the floor, let's say in the middle of the home. And then people would dry their fruits on the roof. And then when it came time to bring them inside, let's say it's going to rain or let's say maybe you're ready to bring them down. Instead of them bringing them down off the roof, like down the side of the house, they would simply lower them down that hole. Um, you know, I, I keep thinking of like a laundry chute, right? Like meaning they'd lower in, you know, I guess they had one person on the roof and one person inside to catch it. Um, so that's that's what this is. Mashlin peyrod derech aruba biyom tov. Avalo b'shabat. So you, if you needed to bring in this, these drying fruits um, over Yant, if you could bring them in, but not on Shabbos, or, uh, then you can cover the produce, right, with cloths. This is, let's say you're, now you've got the fruit that's inside, and the, and but you've got this hole in your ceiling, right? And what happens if rain comes in? And I can't figure out, it must be that there was some kind of, way to cover that skylight you know as a regular practice for the weather because otherwise it makes no sense at all but this is specifically talking about let's say you've got some kind of leak over where the 
where the fruits are. And the goal is to produce the is to protect the produce, right? So that that you're allowed to do. And likewise, you can cover jugs of wine or oil. And you can even put a vessel underneath a leak, you know, to catch the water on Shabbat if it's going to then prevent it from dirtying the house. So the last point is very practical. I think anybody can, you know, understand that you might have a leak in your house and you put a bucket there and, and that is an actually permitted activity on Shabbat according to this Mishnah. But the rest of this is a little bit more specific to their conditions or might be more relevant if, I don't know, th- there are definitely people I know who, who will dry their own fruits, herbs, so on. So the question then is, what can you do on Yantif? And the goal of protecting the, the food itself is what allows you to do this to some degree. Um, now, the with this word mashilin and instead of just telling us what's going on it says well maybe it's not really mashilin maybe it's mishalchin maybe it's mashlichin maybe it's mashirin and the last one was manshirin there's a variety of ways that this word is reread you know it really should be this other word which is a textual you know issue and it's also i think speaks to the you know, I'm a little wary to say this, but it speaks a little bit to the generations between those who had this architecture in their homes in the time of the Mishnah and then the Gemara who are, you know, come to discuss it from a linguistic standpoint, what was really happening here. And each of these words, right, is is understood to be a legitimate read, meaning taken to be incorrect. Um, and all of them are really, you know, no matter how you... Um, you know, doesn't mean to take it to fall or to send it out or, right? You know, like each subtle difference of interpretation still has the same act of however you're going to do it, bringing those fruits into the, through this skylight hole into the home for their protection on Shabbat. On Yantif, not on Shabbat. You can't do it on Shabbat. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Now, what I want to do is just towards the end of the stuff, we get to the halacha of these skylights. Tanan. Mashilin, and so the Gemara still continues with this term that we have in the Mishnah. Mashilin ad kama. How much produce? How much produce can you lower down? I'm a Rabbi Zera. I'm a Rabbi Yasi. I'm I'm Rabbi Yasi. I'm Rabbi Yochanan. Keota she shaninu. It says so they figure out who said this, right? But the basically basically they're saying it's like we learned in the Mishnah, meaning in a different case. So you could clear out four or five uh, bundles, sacks of hay or grain or whatever on Shabbat um, because you've got orchim, because you've got guests. You may remember this from Masech Shabbat. Um, and then you're going to clear a place for them to sit, right? So then once you can do that, that's, that's the focus of, you know, on the one hand, you're protecting the produce, but on the other hand, you've got a... Uh, a requirement for the space within the home. It's not turning your home into a storage facility. Um, and the other reason you might want to clear it is to make sure that you're not going to lose out on Torah study time, right? Meaning, so you can only only lower the amount of, of produce from the roof that would not impinge too much on that time. The implication being maybe not five or six, maybe only three or four. Um, it's, it's really not quite precise when you're actually talking halacha. I'm sure anybody who needed to ask this as a psaq would have a more precise answer. 
And then the Gemara says, has a different question. Dilma Shani Hata says maybe there's a distinction here between that case of moving the sacks of grain for the for the guests or for the study hall, for the baby drash, right? Meaning the idea being that this case of lowering the fruit down isn't quite that, right? Because this is a case, there's no real concern that somebody's going to lose too much of their study time because they're not in the Beit Midrash anyway, they're at home. So that's not, so the Gemara suggests that's not a concern. So this is here, I think, which I was trying to get to. Um, the alternative reading, the alternative thinking is, you know, perhaps there's a distinction between the four or five sacks that you could bring down on, you know, is it a matter of moving them for guests on Shabbat? And perhaps here, you know, you want to say it's the same idea, um, but the Gemara says here, but Shabbat is is chamirich. Shabbos is a very stringent time. People were very careful of Shabbat and in their awareness of Shabbat. So there's no concern that they're going to come. They're not going to come to disparage it or to belittle it. Um, as compared to Yantif, which apparently was regarded as a much lesser kind of thing, perhaps because everything we've been talking about all the way along, that there's, you know, you're making minimal changes to make things look like they're not yentif. So on the one hand, it creates an awareness the day is really different. And on the other hand, there really is a great deal of labor-intensive things taking place. So then on yentif, you know, people would take it more lightly and they might then come to disparage the day, meaning that it's yentif. And so perhaps you can't, you might think that you can't move anything at all the way you could move things for the guests. You can move sacks of hay out of the way for the guests, but perhaps you cannot do that on Yantif, which the conclusion, of course, is that you can move it because you're protecting the fruit from the rain and so on. But the concern here, I think, is really interesting that the cases sound like they're parallel and the difference ends up being not in the activity, but in the way people related to Yantif. And of course, part of the reason I think that this is so interesting coming off of a month of Yantif, is that I do not think that today people are disparaging of Yantif as compared to Shabbos. If anything, I think people make a bigger deal of the holidays than they often do of Shabbat. Um, I think that's probably true. I mean, with Shabbat, you just sort of have like your routine and you sort of just do it every week. The holidays always feel like, Chagim feel like much more of a big deal. I think so. And and people do things special because you want to make it different from Shabbat. We haven't talked about that, right? We've been talking about making things different from Chol. Right, exactly. So I think that's an interesting point also, right? Like, it's just different and it, it it's different, but not about Chol. Our attitudes so, are yeah, really, yeah. The Yom Tov comparison seems to be much more of like Yom Tov to Shabbat, where Shabbat is about Shabbat to Chol. Right. And the things that we do nowadays that are more lenient on Shabbat, like cooking and carrying, if you don't have an Arab, but you can carry on Yantif, meaning you can't carry on Shabbos, but you can carry on Yantif, they're not enough to make us feel like, oh, we're just, we're, we're going to the butcher to get our meat today. You know, oh, let's set up the fire. You know, we have everything set up, ready to go to cook in such a way that it's very different from a whole cooking, I think. 
Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the DAP and our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.